Hey everyone, John Worth. I'm here. It's this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast post Wimbledon. Uh, first off, thanks everyone for listening. Last week, Paul Anacone was our guest, and we had our best traffic day ever. So um, thanks everyone for that. Hope you enjoyed the coverage. I thought we'd do something a little bit different uh, this week instead of having a conventional guest. After she won the women's final on Saturday, Serena Williams did the media rounds, and part of that included some roundtable interviews with with journalists, with media there. And this must have been four or five hours afterwards. I mean, she had done an awful lot of media, Serena had. This was after, remember, too, she won the women's doubles with Venus. And there were maybe three, four of us, five of us in a room. Courtney Wynn, who I'm sure many of you know and love as well you should, was there. So was uh, Howard Fendrich of the Associated Press, who's, who's a great journalist. And uh, we, we had a talk with Serena that only went, I don't know, maybe 10, 12, 15 minutes. But uh, she was terrific. And I thought we would do something different and play the audio of that roundtable. Again, this was sort of an exit interview after she won not only the women's title for the seventh time, but also the women's doubles title with Venus. And so understandably, she was in good spirits. And I thought this was a, an awfully an awfully good Q&A session. So um, let's go to it. This is the uh, a, a roundtable from late Saturday night at Wimbledon, and this is Serena Williams. Can you imagine what uh, your competitive life would have been like from 2012 if you had not hooked up with Patrick? Hmm. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I uh, I definitely think that Patrick has really been very influ- Obviously, he's been extremely influ- influential, and with uh, with uh, my wins and and on a super consistent basis as well. So um, we we make a great formidable team. You have a great meeting of minds. You know, he seems to understand what you need. We're so a lot alike in terms of, especially professionalism. We, we're both never satisfied unless we win, and even when we do win, we pick apart what we could have done better. Um, which, for me, to meet someone that has that same hunger and drive is very rare, and uh, it's also pretty pretty awesome, you know. So I just feel like it's a I think it's a great combination. Just really great. Uh, Serena, the um, the BBC ran a, a thing with you uh, reading off that Maya Angelou poem. Just curious as to how you came across the poem. First of all, I know you read it at the SI uh, Sportswoman thing as well. Mm-hmm. So kind of what does it mean to you? Why, why does it mean so much to you? Well, it's an extremely powerful poem to me, and it meant a lot to me last year. And When did you come across it? Did you know? I've been a fan of Maya Angelou since I was a kid. Um, it's one of my favorite poems of hers, and I think it's so powerful. I think the words in it are just so strong and so encouraging, and it, it makes you, and it, it's, I think it describes me. I really do. And, you know, I've kn- I knew Maya when she was around. I used to go hang out with her, and she was someone that I really admired, and um, I think her work should always live on. Wise tennis player recently said, "Top athletes are greedy." That was, that was Venus a few minutes ago. Um, that was a good saying. <laughs> you agree with that? What do you I think that do. Means? When she said it, I was like, "Wow!" I think, uh, and she said great ones too, right? So I feel like 
yeah, when you're great, you are greedy because you want more and you want to keep going back to the table to eat more and to eat more. And you never, you don't want enough. You don't get enough. And I think that that was perfectly said, even in putting your career first. You know, you have, you have to be really selfish and greedy. Like, this is what it is. I come first and that's what it needs to be done in order for me to be the best. Do you think this you mentioned in your uh, news conference earlier uh, a conversation with Patrick shortly after the French Open. Um, could you tell us a little more about that? When exactly it was? It was over the phone, I think. Uh, yeah, um, I don't remember. I was just talking uh, talking through things and how I was disappointed that I lost the French and um, what I needed to do to, to do better at Wimbledon and. Um, you know, we were just talk. We we're strategizing a lot, and it wasn't one conversation. We talked for at least five, so many times, almost every day, just to try to fill, you know, what I needed to do and what what was going to be done. You said, I, I think that he said to you, like, "You're back." Yeah, and, and at some point over those four or five days, towards the end, he said that I sent him a text, and in that text, he said he recognized that I was different and I was back to who I who I am usually and I was like what does that mean he's like so he just said that he felt that I was different when I sent that text and um he he um was very encouraged by it and we and we uh we both built we were able to build on it was there a moment for you when you sort of decided that you, you knew there was a moment I literally felt one day I woke up and I just felt different I felt like um, I can I can do better. I can do this. I'm not only I can do this. I'm going to do this, and there's nothing in this world that's going to stop me. So, when you talk about age not being should be a stipulation for how how long you play athletes are going for, and you're hungry for more. I mean, can you imagine yourself doing this for three, four, five more years until you? I don't late know. 30s, 40s? I don't. I I don't know. I really don't know. I mean. I just, at this point, I'm just, I don't really look too much in the future. Um, I'm really living for the moment right now and really trying to take this up and enjoy it and really embrace it. And um, then I'll go on to the next title and then I'll see how I feel. Um, we'll see, though. I'm so still having fun. Do you plans to slow down a little? Um, yeah, I probably, I'm not playing as much as I was. I'm definitely playing a little less, but I'm really zeroed in and focused on those tournaments I'm playing. In, in the press conference uh, right afterwards, you were incredible uh, talking about what's happening uh, in the U.S. And you said uh, you have to learn to, to love each other and it's going to take work and education. And you know you're not, you know, and, well, what, in what way do you think it will take work and education? What, can, what do you imagine saying? It's so much. I don't even know where to begin. I just feel like it's not anything that's going to happen overnight. There's so much stuff that people have to reach down within themselves and you know just try to be better and will it happen I don't know but I think if we can all take it within ourselves and then try to improve on ourselves and maybe we can work on something violence is never the answer I don't think so it only hurts innocent people and it hurts innocent families and on both sides of the spectrum so do you think you play a role in empowering kids and people in America in our important role model? Um, I, I do. I think I can be a role model and 
what that role is. I don't know. I don't know if it if it has to be bigger or something stepping up and doing something more or just I don't know. But I do know that it's um it's a very difficult time for everyone involved in uh it's a scary time as well. It's very scary. Serena, getting back to, to the Angelou poem, um, there's a lot of lines in that poem that are about, you know, kind of being criticized and, you know, people misunderstanding you, uh, not necessarily you, but the protagonist of the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm curious to know, is there, what do you relate to in that aspect? Of um, one of the most powerful lines that I, I like is when they say, um, don't get me twisted with your bitter twisted lies and were you happy to see me down? Were you, were you sad when I fell or when I fell down? Um, and then one of my favorite parts is I'm the hope and the dream of a slave. So those really, really resonate with me because that's what my ancestors were. And this is I'm the product of that. And if you think, if you break down those words, it's, oh, it was a dream probably for my ancestors to be here and to see, or to see what they because of their perseverance, has been able to get, let me have this opportunity. And it's so, so touching, and it's so amazing that because of that, I do have this opportunity. Can I ask, at this stage in your life and your career, how much does your self-regard, your sense of self, have to do with winning and losing matches? What do you mean? I was thinking about the documentary and how, at the U.S. Open, it really seemed like that loss really... For, for in the movie, anyway, really had an impact on how you viewed yourself. I mean, do you do you feel differently about yourself when you're winning versus when you have some tough defeats? Unfortunately, I definitely do, which I don't think is normal. I definitely feel like when I lose, I don't feel as good about myself. But then I have to like remind myself that you are Serena Williams. You know, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and it's those moments I have to just like come off and be like, Serena, are you? Do you know what you've done, who you are, what you continue to do, not only in tennis, off the court? Like, you're awesome. So I really have to, I think that really just shows the human side of me that I'm not a robot. Like, I only expect perfection. Your, your, your dad always used to speak about his grandmother, if I have it right, this with great affection. His eyes always would light up. Uh, talked about her life in Louisiana, sharecropper, I believe. Could you imagine if she saw your world now, your achievement now, you know, 15,000 English people applauding her great-grand... No, I I mean, both my grandmothers have passed, and it would be... uh, You know, and my dad was so close to her, and she was always proud of us, even even when we were younger. Like, she was always supportive, and she was always proud, and, you know, for either one of them to see this i don't i don't think i could have envisioned it and then for them to come from where they were you know from you know from i think she may have been born like in 1912 or something like that to to from from that age to today even though we still have problems mm. you know i think it was still it would be so encouraging and just she could would be so proud oh last couple and going a little bit off of what John was asking, I mean, one thing that I've noticed with you in the press room here and on court as well is that there does seem to be kind of a re-embracing of, I'm Serena. I've done what I've done. And yeah. I'm, well, pardon my language, I'm badass. And, mm. you know, and how far away did you think that you got from that maybe last year? I feel like 
you were kind of diffusing the pressure a little bit of mm. the run up to New York by kind of being like, I'm, I'm just doing my best. That's all I can do. But it seemed like you kind of recaptured yourself here. Yeah, I definitely think so. Serena, more generally on the age thing, I mean, not specifically to you, but mm. I mean, in there you said, you know, who decides? You right. Know, do you think these days with technology and diets now, do you think it's, whereas before people were retiring at 33, 34, do you think now it's possible to sort of Retiring in the 20s and th in early 30s and late 20s. So, yeah, I think now, I think technology has done a lot. I know things even from the shoes to you know, helping out your knees, you know, and being able to stay out there longer. Obviously, diets and training and learning what to do to not get injured. Like, there's not as many injuries, severe injuries, as there used to be um, because of knowledge. And it's been great. It's really helped out my career. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, a little bit different, but uh, I thought that was real candor from Serena that you honestly don't always get. Um, some thoughts on Wimbledon? Let's see. I have my uh, co-conspirator, Jamie Lasanti, here. Let's see. Well, Serena's obviously your, your big winner. Again, um, here's, here's a stat for you, Jamie Lasanti. Serena Williams' record in singles finals and doubles finals at majors. 14-0 and in doubles, 22-6 and in singles. That's 36-6 and when the trophy's on the line in majors. That's pretty good, huh? Another reason why I consider Serena the greatest of all time. We had spirited debates about that at Wimbledon uh, with a number of former players. But um, Serena is your big winner. Andy Murray, obviously, big winner on the men's side as well. He lost two sets in the quarterfinals to Joe Wilfried Sanga. Take that lapse out of the equation. And that was pretty much untouchable tennis for uh, for seven rounds. Um, Milos Raonic, nice job in reaching the final. I suspect he wished he had more to give in that last match, but through six rounds, he was terrific. Here's something interesting, Jamie Lasanti. Milos Raonic in the last four rounds dropped eight sets, eight of 17 sets. So in the last four rounds of the tournament, he lost almost one out of two sets he played. But uh, That's not going to win you a major. That won't win you a major. But it will win you five setters, which he did twice, once in the fourth round, then over Roger Federer in the semis. I thought Angeli Kerber uh, played a terrific match for the second Grand Slam final in a row. She did not win this one, obviously, as she did in Australia. But as much as we uh, talk about WTA players that sometimes get a little bit nervy uh, in big matches, she's had two really big matches and I thought played great in both of them. She had a nice embrace with Serena afterwards, too. And she had a nice embrace with Serena afterwards, and as they did in Australia. Yes. So uh, their Grand Slam rivalry. As did a lot of people. Yeah, a lot of it. That's that's a good point. There were a lot of uh, a lot of warmth. Radwanska and uh, Sybil Kova after playing what I thought was a women's match of the Stevens tournament. Stevens and Kuznetsova. Sloane Stevens and Kuznetsova after a terrific match as well. One that Sloane Stevens had a break in the third set and uh, couldn't close. I'll be the villain and uh, and bring that up. Other big winners. Uh, Nicholas Mahout won the doubles. Some nice poetic justice there. Six years after losing the longest match in tennis history. Um, I thought Venus was a big winner, winning the doubles with Serena yet again, and uh, playing... Coming awfully close. Coming awfully close. Uh, ran, ran out of steam a little bit against Kerber in the semis, but uh, at age 36, great to see her still going strong. Um, I thought Andy Roddick was a big winner. <laughs> Did you get a chance to listen to any of that? A little bit. That Andy was... Roddick uh, turning... Turning media on its head and broadcasting without uh, 
rights to the footage, obviously, broadcasting the finals on Periscope, um, which uh, he's a disruptor. This is the media paradigm shift coming to, uh, to tennis. The Boys of Summer are halfway home with this week's All-Star Game in San Diego and SI's Baseball Podcast. The Strike Zone is taking listeners all the way to the World Series. It's always a good time when Ted Keith and Steve Canella chop it up on the Strike Zone. I don't know what chop it up means, <laughs> but... Uh, they are the John Carlos Stantons of baseball podcasting. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app on si.com slash podcasts. I almost said backslash, but it's forward slash si.com slash podcasts. I also thought Wimbledon was a big winner. This had been a rough year for tennis so far. The French had some weather issues and obviously uh, paid a price in PR for not having a covered court. The Australian Open was overshadowed largely by this Mac match-fixing scandal, such as it were. We had Maria Sharapova's anti-doping issue. It was it was not the passing of Bud Collins. It was not a strong year for tennis so far, and Wimbledon uh, had a lot going for it. I really, I don't know if you pick this up on TV, but the way they sort of marry and mesh tradition with innovation, I think, is really, not just for sports properties. I mean, I think brands in general could really learn a lot from them that you still have the strawberries and cream and you still have the center court play at 1 p.m. and the brass gates swing open and all the little touches, but you also have matches live streaming on Twitter and they Snapchat. had a great, great, great Snapchat presence. Exactly. Um, so yay, Wimbledon. All right, that does it for this week's SI Tennis Podcast. There's a vicious rumor that Coco Vandaway will join us next week. We'll have a more conventional interview than we had this week with Serena, but uh, I hope you enjoyed that. Congrats to her for winning Wimbledon for a seventh time, tying Steffi Graf's record, also tying Steffi Graf's record of 22 majors, of course. I am John Wertheim. Our producer extraordinaire is Jamie Lasanti. Follow me on Twitter at John Wertheim. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Hear the whole panoply of SI Network podcasts at si.com slash podcast. We'll do it again next week. Feel free to send your comments, criticisms, guest suggestions, as always. Have a good week, everyone. Again, I'm saying this, so uh, we'll put pressure on her, but Coco Vandaway will uh, be our guest next week. Have a good week. Talk to you in seven days. Mm-hmm.